0: Chapter twenty two of Notwithstanding by Mary Chumley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter twenty two Give me the sweet cup wrought of the earth from which I was born, and under which I shall lie dead. Zonus From the church tower, reader, you can see beyond the mill and the long water meadows the little hamlet of Swale. That old house in the midst, with its wonderful twisted chimneys and broken wall, was once the home of the extinct Wellishams of Swale. But the name of Wellisham, embedded in the history of Loesha, and still renowned in India, is forgotten in Riff. Their old house, fast falling into ruins, is now used as a farm, until Roger can get leave to restore it, or put it down. The sky looks in at the upper rooms. No one dare go up the wide oak staircase, and Mrs. Nicholls' chicken's roost on the carved balustrade of the minstrel's gallery. We will go there next. Mrs. Nicholls, the devoted nurse of all the Manfors family, and the principal treble in the choir, had married, at a portly age, the tenant-farmer at Swale, and Annette was having tea with her on this particular afternoon, and hearing a full description, which scorned all omissions, of the last illness of Mr. Nicholls, who had not been able to take a bite in his head, "'of anything solid for many weeks before his death.' "'And so, miss,' said Mrs. Nicholls, philosophically, "'when he went, I thought it was all for the best. "'It's a poor thing for a man to live by suction.' "'Annette agreed. "'Swale seems quite empty this afternoon,' she said, "'possibly not unwilling to change the subject. "'There is hardly a soul to be seen.' "'I expect they've all gone to Sir Harry's lection tea,' said Mrs. Nicholls. "'I used to go while Nicholls was alive.' very convenient it was, but Sir Harry don't want no widows nor single spinsters, only wives of them as has votes. Politics were not so complicated twenty years ago as they are now. Those were the simple days when Sir Harry Ogden, the member, urbanely opined that he was for church and state, and gave tea shortly before the election to the wives of his constituents. And the ladies of Swale and Riff, and even the great Mrs. Nicholls, thought none the worse of their member, because there was always a sovereign at the bottom of the cup. "'Mr. Black wants to start a mother's meeting in Swale,' continued Annette. "'He asked me to talk it over with you. "'I know he is hoping for your nice parlour for it, "'so beautiful as you always keep it.' Mrs. Nicholls was softened by the compliment to her parlour, the condition of which was as well known as that Queen Victoria was on the throne. But she opined that there had been a deal too much argy-bargy already among the swell matrons about the mother's meeting, and that she did not see her way to joining it. Annette, who had been deputed by Mr. Black to find out the mysterious cause of Mrs. Nicholls' reluctance, remarked meditatively, "'I don't know how the vicar will get on without you, Mrs. Nicholls.' "'No, miss,' said Mrs. Nicholls, "'of course not. He was here only yesterday, and he says to me, "'Mrs. Nicholls, the swell folk ought to all hang together, and we look to you.' "'And I says,' "'Sir, it's not for me to chunter with you, but it's no manner of you setting me up as a queen in Squale, when there's Mrs. Tompkins as bounceful as can be, as has been expecting homage ever since she and her spring-cart came in last Lammas, which none of us don't feel obligated to bow down to her.' "'Of course not. But there are others beside Mrs. Tompkins. There are the Tamsies, your next-door neighbours. They are quiet, hard-working people with a lot of little ones.' "'She would be very thankful, I know, to join the mother's meeting, if the vicar can start it.' "'Mrs. Tamsey,' said Mrs. Nicholls, judicially, "'I dare say Mrs. Tamsey would like anything she can get, whether it's out of my pig-tub or her own. "'That don't make no difference to Mrs. Tamsey, nor what's put on the edge to dry, "'if so be as anything's blow to her side. "'She's that near she'd take the pence off the eyes of her mother's corp.' "'No, miss, I do a deal for the vicar, but I won't have Mrs. Tamsey in my place.' Nor I won't set foot in hers. Not that I ain't sorry for her, with Tamsie coming home roaring on a Saturday night, and hectoring and bullocking about till the children has to sleep in the end roost. And in the course of conversation, Mrs. Nicholls at last had divulged to Annette what she had kept bottled up from Mr. Black, and indeed from everyone that the real reason that a mothers' meeting could not be instituted in the small circle of the Swale matrons, even if the gathering did not include Mrs. Tamsie, was because of old Mr. Thornton's death. Mr. Thornton, it seemed, had been an octogeranium and the last sediment of his family, and not one of his own kin to put him in his coffin. The swell ladies had taken the last duties on themselves, and there had been unpleasantness at the laying out, so that friendly relations had been suspended between them ever since the funeral. Annette sighed as she left Mrs. Nicholls and set out across the meadows towards Riff. She was to meet Janie in the Halver Gardens and help her to pick the snapdragons now blooming riotously there. But one small sigh for the doomed mother's meeting was the only tribute Annette paid to it. Her thoughts reverted quickly to other subjects. Her placid, easy-going mind was troubled. The long letter written at night to Mrs. Stoddart three weeks ago had never been posted. The following morning had brought a hurried line from her friend, saying she was, that moment, starting on a yachting trip with her son. She mentioned that she was coming down to Annette's neighbourhood in a month's time on a visit to Mr. Stirling at Noyes, when she hoped for opportunities of seeing her. Annette had dropped her own letter into the fire, not without a sense of relief. She had hated the idea of immediate action, and she had been spared it. She would go on quietly until she could confer with Mrs. Toddart. But in spite of the momentary respite, the fear remained at the back of her mind that when Mrs. Toddart did know about the Mambas family, she would almost certainly insist on Annette's leaving Riff. Annette could see for herself that her position there was untenable. But the longing to remain grew, nevertheless. She vaguely, foolishly, hoped that some way of remaining might yet be found. For she was drawn towards Riff, and she had never been drawn to any other place, partly, no doubt, because, owing to her aunt's death, all her energies had been called out there for the first time in her life. "'It had been no sinecure to take Aunt Cathy's place. "'She had taken it, and she had filled it. "'She was no longer a pale, useless, discontented girl, "'cooped up in an airless London house with two self-centred elder women, "'whom she'd secretly despised for immolating their sister. "'Now that her aunts were under her protection and absolutely dependent on her, "'and, if they had but known it, at her mercy, "'she had become at first tolerant of them, and then compassionate and amused.' and finally affectionate. If she had kept her own life entirely apart from them, they were not aware of it. For neither of the Miss Neville's had yet discovered that though they themselves were not alive, others might be, and Annette had done nothing since her return to them to break that illusion so rudely shaken by her departure. In their opinion, Annette had now settled down, and each aunt was secretly of opinion that her niece's existence was supported by copious draughts from the deep wells of our own wisdom and experience. But perhaps Annette had other incentives for clinging to Riff. Sometimes, as we go through life, we become conscious of a mysterious instinctive attraction towards certain homely people, and certain kindly places, for which we cannot account, to which we can only yield. They seem to belong to us, to have a special significance for us. When Annette first saw Janey and Roger, she felt that she had known them all her life, that they had long been part of her existence. When first she walked with them beside the Ribbon, she seemed to recognize every turn of the stream, the deep primrose lanes welcomed her back to them. Had she wandered down them in some previous existence? When she gathered her first posy of ladies' smock in the long water meadow near the mill, the little milk-white flowers said, "Why have you been away from us so long?" and when, a few days later, she first stood with Janey in the April sunshine on the wide terrace of Halver, the stately shuttered house had seemed to envelop her with its ancient peace, and to whisper to her, "'I am home!' Annette reached the bridge by the mill, and looked across the tranquil water to the village clustering round the church, and the old red-gabled manor-house standing among its hollies. Her heart throbbed suddenly. Surely the angel with the sword would not drive her away again. End of chapter twenty two.